The two Jills, a psychologist and psychic intuitive, reveal mind-blowing insights that turn psychology, self-help, and conscious teachings on their heads. Why? Because they work. Real help, sincere growth is here. Welcome to Psyched. Okay, welcome to Psyched. Today we are going to talk about a topic that I actually really love, um, shitty relationships and what we do about them. How do we save ourselves from shitty relationships? And I do wanna just say as a caveat, we are not talking about shitty people. That's really important. We're not bashing people right now. The idea is we're talking about somehow our relationship went shitty. It takes two to tango, and that's really where the problem is in the relationship. So one of the things that we want to talk about today is how do we get ourselves out of them, being honest about why we're staying in them, and what are some of the things that we can do to assess how we want to proceed in our relationships. And I think, I think there's another point I want to make. We may have to start this over. <laughs> you may have to cut this because I wanted to talk about. So relationships should be expansive. They are fluid. They change all the time. They're there to enhance our lives, to grow within a relationship, right? And if somehow your relationship with a specific person is doing the opposite, then that's, that's something that needs to be addressed. And we can all think of shitty relationships that we've had that take up a lot of our time, a lot of mental real estate, and really snowball into the rest of our lives, right? You just can't contain a relationship gone sour. It takes up a lot of energy. So I think to begin, one of the things I'd like to talk about is why do people stay in shitty relationships? Like what's, what's the hold? I get to answer first, don't I? Yes. <laughs> and then I can't wait to hear yours. What I've seen, and I have, you know, over 10 years of observational research with my work, and of course, just, you know, living, being on the planet for 52 years, I have sensed that the most common reason people stay is lack of honesty with themselves. They're not being honest with themselves about the way the other person, for whatever reasons, is making them feel and what, they're, what they've been willing to accept and put up with, what they've been willing to tolerate that they often would never tolerate, Jill, from another person. That, to me, is the fascinating part. I'm getting goosebumps. When, and I noticed for a lot of people, there's, there's friendships that are healthy and high-functioning. But like you said, there's this sucking sensation with these unhealthy, toxic relationships, these shitty relationships, as we're lovingly calling them, that they really consume so much of us. There's a lot of dynamics. I'm so glad we have a lot of time today. But to me, that's the number one reason is they're not being honest with themselves. The I 100% agree. The, okay, good. I'm curious if you were seeing the same thing. The metric that I have found works really, really well to identify the shitty relationships because I they seem to fit in a blood family relative. So like a parent, a sibling, um, an adult child, right? There's just a shitty toxic relationship there. So in that category and then romantic relationships, I ask, I ask, 
would you be friends with this person if they weren't your relative? Or would you be friends with this person if they weren't your romantic partner? And it's amazing how they're like, no, I would never be friends with that sibling because I would never accept to be treated that way, right? So there's these weird bonds that sort of make people feel like they don't have the same choices that they do with their non-romantic friendships. And I, we can't pick all of our relationships. You know, there, there is something to be said for that. And yet we still have to be in contact with these people. So even if it's after, after a divorce, there's something that we still need to be able to operate within. And so one of the hacks that I use, which helps me so much, honestly, is what I call the NPC. It's the non-player character. And it's really what happens in a video game. And I honestly learned it in Jumanji. If anybody hasn't seen that movie, you got to see Jumanji. But these characters come into a video game and they're existing characters. So when they get picked up in the jungle, Nigel says, welcome to Jumanji. And the players start asking them questions and Nigel just keeps saying, welcome to Jumanji. Because he's a non-player character. He only has one setting. So he is going to respond in that very predictable way all the time. And I think that when we're in relationships where we have to be in those relationships, it could be a boss, right? It's just, you're not gonna get that person to change their spots. That's not your job, right? People will be as they are. We actually don't have a right to make demands on people or to have expectations of other people. We have no right. And we can only adapt or change ourselves or completely cut it off. That's an option. But this non-player character, if you know that the person has only one setting, you have no expectations. And then whatever they do, they do. And it, it's not, it doesn't offend you anymore because you're not taking it personally. And so I don't, I don't know if anybody's ever tried that, but for me, the non-player character, I can love everybody because they're just, they're just playing their role. They're just doing it. I love that. And I hadn't heard you talk about that strategy before, but it's so fun. And I do want to clarify the Jumanji one you mean is the latest one. The it's there's a more modern one yes, that came out probably around 2020 or something, or 2015 or something like that. It's so good. Because there's one with Robin Williams that's from no, like the 80s him. or the 90s. Yeah, the yeah, this yeah. one. And I I love that strategy. Um, this idea that part of the the biggest disappointment we can feel personally is when somebody else isn't what we want them to be. So when we're honest with ourselves about that, that I need them to show up in this way, or I need them to um, dial this up or dial that down, you're exactly right. We are assuming that we have authority over what another person is or isn't. So that's a that's a mind fudge that we have in our thought system. So it consistently, you know, is leading, running into disappointment over and over again. I see this parents with children, right? I see this with uh, adult children with their parents. I see it with siblings. I see it with friendships. I see it with coworkers. I definitely see it with romantic relationships. So when you can step back and go, okay, let's just assess them on what they are, not what you expected them to be, thought they were capable of. That's another you know, zinger right there, but they're capable of so much more. It doesn't matter in some ways what they're capable of. 
what matters so much more in terms of what you are willing to invest and where you are willing to put your joy on the line to how you're how you're depending your joy on whether they're measuring up to your expectation of what they can or can't be or should or shouldn't be by your standards. Because the best predictor we have of anyone is what they are today. Are they capable of more? Hell yeah, of course they're capable. We're all capable of so much more than we are. But the best predictor is what they're actually giving you right now. And it's frustrating to some people because they see, well, they treat other people differently, (gasps) right? So whether it's a parent or a boss, you know, they'll favor one person over another. And that's another thing that the brain just takes right in and says, what's wrong with me? What is it about me? You know, and then go into this, you know, pretzel twisting of trying to make yourself appealing right to that person. And the brutal honesty that we we were talking about really comes with this looking at yourself. Why are you in this relationship? What X are you trying to solve for? Because if you have a need, that already is problematic. That's already going to start the relationship off in a very tenuous state. And if that will make you hinge on, is this person serving my need or is this person not serving my need? And we're not really honest with that. We cannot use people. We cannot. They are not there to be used. They're not for our happiness. They're not for our personal gain. They're not for our, you know, companion. They're, they're not, you know, in terms of companion, in terms of the neediness um, that sometimes develops, right? So that is a brutally honest thing that we have to kind of incorporate. This isn't just about the other person. In fact, it's not about the other person at all, right? It's about, it's about us and what our brain is doing. So that's really, that's really important. Beautiful. Related to that, there are, and I, I remember my own awareness of this, that there are traditional romantic relationships where it is sort of set up or expected that one person's job is to make the other person happy and ideally vice versa. Right. And I remember at some point, maybe eight years, maybe 10 years into my marriage, um, I, Jeff and I were having a conversation and I said, I just realized it, I no longer look at it as your job to make me happy. And I wasn't doing that that much anyway, but it was more clear that, that I was definitely not. And maybe we were talking about somebody else's relationship. Maybe it was, you know, another friend getting divorced. Cause we've definitely had a lot of friends that, you know, didn't make it um, in terms of divorce, not that they failed. Right. It's just that that marriage isn't what they thought it would be. Um, but that's such the healthiest relationships I see are like that friendships, um, parent child relationships, definitely romantic relationships, and even professional relationships, that it's not your boss's job to make you happy in your job, right? Are there things that the boss does or doesn't do that affect your joy? Of course there are, but there's so many more dials and knobs and control points that we have personally. And part of it is based on this self-awareness, self-honesty about the situation. And, and I think it's also based on the agency, right? The amount of choice we allow ourselves in our relationships. So people are, you know, they'll say, well, this is, this is it. This is my job. This is my husband. This is my, you know, they take things as, as a given and they really, they lock themselves in 
And it's not even being locked into the relationship. It's just feeling like you don't have choices, right? And a lot of people ask me, you know, when they come, I work a lot with people um, who are thinking about divorce. And a lot of times, you know, depending on where they are, I say, you're not ready to divorce because nothing's going to change. You haven't changed anything inside. So changing the outside, getting, cutting off a relationship isn't going to work. And weirdly, the higher self knows that. And I think that is why there is some hanging on because you haven't separated yet. There is some sort of an awareness that getting out of this relationship isn't gonna solve your problem. Hmm. And I think that's a higher awareness rather than a, a hanger honor, right? And so I do wanna kind of shift that up a little bit to just be like, why do I accept so much shit? You know, I call it the relationship math, which is the 10, 10 to one principle that somebody can do 10 shitty things to you, but they do one nice thing and you're hooked. You're willing to go for another, another round of 10 shitty things. But that's just because we haven't taken it upon ourselves to care for ourselves in a weird way. You know, um, I will give a little shout out to Matt Kahn here because he says everything happens in your life for you to love yourself more, not less. So if you listen to this idea of like, why can't I get out of this relationship? I must not be good enough. That's not what it's saying. It's saying you're berating yourself when you should be really honoring yourself. And that's what creates the shift, which allows you when you're ready for a divorce, you know it, you don't ask, you know it. It comes from another place. It doesn't come from desperation or grabbing at straws. It just doesn't. There's this like peace that comes with it when you're ready. It's amazing. I, I've seen that as well. And I love that you referenced that um, the idea that divorce isn't, isn't the solution to the problem is what I heard you say, because for so many individuals there, well, for a lot of humans, there's a mischaracterization of the problem. So basically in a, in a pre-divorce situation, there are so many individuals that say, or pre-breakup situation, they're in the way of my joy. And then, but are they, are they in the way of your joy? You know, let's, let's really, you know, give yourself more of your own authority over your joy, right? Because that's a big thing to undo with it not being the core, not, I don't want to say problem, but the core opportunity, right? Um, the other thing is it shouldn't mean so much to us because someone else said they loved us. It ideally, it doesn't that when you were talking about that ratio of the one to 10 or 10 to one, right? Whatever they're saying, that one nice thing that has so much weight for some of us as individuals, that's a lot of power you're giving to words that may not be followed up by actions and to that person. So what is it about those words and that, that feeling that hearing those words or reading those words, what is that? And what, what connection point is that within ourselves that allows us to feel like we're capable of being um, mistreated, you know, and really underappreciated or disrespected even in these situations, because they said one thing that there's just some gaping, you know, I don't want to say trauma, but just some sort of avoid and self of, oh, but they said they loved me. Right. Yeah. I, or you and, don't know, you don't know them. 
right? You yeah. don't know them like I do. There's a whole, like, I know. you know, profile that, that rationalizations. Yes, That's exactly what you're saying. And yep. one of the, when we look at, um, and you and I do this a lot, when we look at other it's not only spiritual teachings, it's psychological too. When we're asking you to look at yourself, this isn't an asking you to look at yourselves of where you're going wrong, mm -hmm. right? That's really, really important because a lot of people use their brains to say, how can I fix myself to fix this? What's wrong with me? Right? By starting with what's broken, right? Let's look at what's broken in me versus let's look at what high, what's high functioning in me. That's a much better place to start. Even what I want. Yeah, that's true. Right? Like, what do I want? If I don't, I mean, it's such a simple question. We never ask it. I mean, it's, it's, it blows my mind. But this idea of, of honesty is, is not to dig at your, you know, pick at your wounds and expose your flaws to yourself. Right? And that's why people fail a lot of times to mm -hmm. take responsibility in relationships and kind of defer to the other person. And it becomes more of a reactive scenario rather than an, you know, an inside out coming, you know, coming from you. Um, and it's because we've eroded, we don't want to see, we don't want to see pieces of ourselves that we think we're supposed to be looking at. And that's not what you and I espouse, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a very, it's a very different look. This, this honesty is always about moving forward honesty. It's about looking at, like we said, what I want. Mm -hmm. It's not about dragging your past and your mm -hmm. past relationships and trying to fix something that was broken then now. Yeah. Right. Because you have the judgment of yourself about something you could have, should have, would have done. Or right? how you're disadvantaged. Right. It's right. harder for me because that is a wonderful um, self-assessment to to really consider that, oh, well, it's harder for me in relationships because of this. Or it's hard with that person in my life because like, like a parent, it's because of this. There's a lot of really uh, self-deceiving stories that we have there that again, take away our authority and give a lot authority of authority to a story that may or might not even be true. And I'm, I'm a fan of stories. If they're empowering you to be your best self today and tomorrow, I'm not a fan of stories that give you an excuse for why you make bad choices or why you put yourself in, in a harmful, hurtful situation for you or for anybody right? So this personal is complicated. Choice, that's, that's the other piece of personal choice, right? Mm. Personal choice is about leaving those stories behind, mm. right? Responsibility is about leaving those stories behind. That's the responsibility that we're talking about and mm. the responsibility for not using your relationships to fill holes because of those stories, right? Yeah. This, this is really, I mean, a better word in, in a way is, is really about awareness Mm -hmm. But it's not saying that you have a lack of awareness. Yeah. Right. And and so we just want to put caveats as we as we go through our podcast mm -hmm. to not use the words that we're saying in ways that restrict you further. Responsibility yes. is the most beautiful, empowering word. It almost makes me want to cry. Mm -hmm. It is the most beautiful, empowering thing we could ever do for ourselves. And it's not responsibility for our garbage. 
No, let's do some before and afters here. I feel like that would be helpful. So a traditional way of looking at responsibility is the brain thinks of a chore. What Jill and I are offering, what you and I are offering is that responsibility is an opportunity. Responsibility is responding to your abilities, not your disabilities. So when you hear responsibility in the, in the after context of this, Think of opportunity and responding to your abilities, not your weaknesses, not your deficiencies, not where you feel have felt left down or like this world has been unfair to you. That's not that's not what we're talking about here. The other before and after is awareness. We're asking you to look at not awareness of where you're flawed to, to put you down, but rather when we say be aware of yourself, looking for opportunities to lift yourself up. Right right? It's a completely different context that is very um, against, it turns conventional methods and teachings and healing modalities on their heads in a lot of ways, in a good way. Because this, these, there's so many of those, what felt like great ideas that have just led to further disempowerment and just a repetitive series of shitty relationships. They're not that's fixing anything. Brain. Yeah. That's the brain hijacking kind of these concepts and make them onerous and be like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to look underneath that. We're not, we're not looking under the rug. That's I know. Not, that's not worth it. Yeah. And the awareness that we're talking about is awareness for today, right? You cut off all past, all future, right? Because that's the, a lot of reasons, <sighs> you know, going back to why people stay in relationships mm-hmm is because either they just spent so much time in it, if you could just, you know, get over this hump, so that's the brain, more of the same thing that isn't working to the brain is a good idea. We call it insanity, but the brain says, you just didn't do enough. You just didn't twist yourself enough. There's Mm -hmm. something that you could do to fix this. That's like a hard no to me. And then the other problem that you have is, well, you know, I thought this person was my forever, or I really like this job, but I'm, you know, with this boss, there's this future tripping that goes on. You're trying to hold on the ideal that you've created for yourself. That's never going to work. And these are really the two reasons, the past and the future, are why people accept such a shitty present, right? Yeah. So the awareness that we're talking about is cut off the two tails. And let's just assess, let's take an honest assessment of where I'm at, not an assessment of me and what I've done and how to get here. I don't care how you got here, but let's mm. just, let's just wake the, you know what up mm-hmm. and, and take an honest assessment. It doesn't matter how they got there, right? No, it really it doesn't. doesn't because that's where all those stories are of the feelings of dreaminess. If some people are very idealistic, um, give other people incredible generous benefits of the doubt right and or they or a person that they're in a relationship with changed right or they misrepresented themselves oh that's the epitome of shitty relationships right when somebody either tricked the other person or they were lying to themselves that they were a better person than they are right not that they're a bad person like we're talking about or like we were like in your intro right but they're capable of shitty behavior, right? That's the thing. And if they don't have enough authority over themselves, they're going to continue to be shitty with whoever will put up with it, right? Humans are complex. So you mentioned earlier, Jill, that this, I think you said a statement of, but I, how are they so nice to all these other people, but they're not to me? It kind of doesn't matter because for whatever reason, they are capable of being 
a lesser version of themselves with you, right? And that has may have nothing to do with you. It may be patterns and programs and you know delusional thoughts that they have about punishing you for whatever disappointment or you know. There's a lot Whatever there. You look like. <laughs> right. It could you know, be, it could be so many of, things, Yeah, but the ability, this is super, I, this is, this trips people up a lot. They fall in love with the idea of somebody and they fall in love with what they are in certain contexts. And then they give that person that credit, even though that isn't the version of them that they get. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, I've had crazy. Um, it really just, tragic situations of somebody that is maybe a very public figure and who they are in public is one thing, but who their spouse gets of them is like, yeah, that's not right. We hear stories like that. Um, I had, there was one situation where the client's partner was um, a, a ordained minister and with a congregational church and, you know, all these things and the church loved him but who he was to the spouse and the children was, I don't want to say monster, but definitely emotional abuse. Definitely. I don't think it was physical abuse, but psychological abuse, a lot of gaslighting, just a completely Jekyll and Hyde situation. And those individuals that are, that are getting the, the ugly side of them, they feel really trapped because there's the more people involved in that are a witness to their good side, they feel completely cut off because no one's going to understand the slice of them that they got. Right. And then they, they trick themselves, but every, all these other people love them. Like you said, what am I doing wrong or what's wrong with me that we're not getting that side, but the, the emphasis is pointed towards the wrong person. Why are they like that with you? That should be the bigger question. But again, that romantic, you know, idealized form of love doesn't want to blame the other person. It's so much more comfortable in blaming itself and keeping the mirrors pointed to self, but the self isn't the issue. The self didn't cause that. The other person did for their own, you know, messed up programs and reasons. And it doesn't like, it doesn't matter. But I think when you say, you know, I truly believe that other people's behavior has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with me. I don't send my brain to decide why that person is behaving that way. To me, it's, it's what I call a trivial pursuit, right? If I'm going to ascertain why did that person just do that? I'm going to ask my brain that question. My brain is going to make up some erroneous answer and then we have to really watch the ones that diminish us in the process, right? Um, but either way, whether, if you, well, it's important. If you diminish yourself when you ask your brain and it diminishes you, red flag right out of the gate, okay? That's just, I'll say that. But it's, it makes no, it, it doesn't matter to me why somebody did that. And I can only make up from my own context. And of course, it's gonna pick out my flaw well, because you said this, or you wore that, you know, it's going to, it's going to pick at the weak stuff. It's going to get the low hanging fruit. When people are like that example that you gave, when people are so far behind the eight ball, think of the empowerment, right? Think of the opposite. If everybody is against you, the empowerment that you feel is 
exponential if you take responsibility because it is you for you and only you. And there is nothing more powerful than you getting behind you. There's nothing more powerful than that. So the upside, if people have the ability to stay out of the why me and let me see if I can fix this, ergo them, if you can stay out of there, the next level, which is your, what you talk about, the transcendent level is all upside. And that's why you and I, we have this kind of joke and we're not doing divorce today, but specifically, but we have this joke when people kind of come to us and they say, oh, you know, I'm getting a divorce. And each of us in our own right found out that we did this, which was like, is it too early to say congratulations? Hmm. Because we just have a different take. We have the empowered viewpoint on this stuff. And I don't know, very few of us, step out and, and do it. It's just not even culturally normal. It's more culturally normal to say, I must've done something wrong. They're mm-hmm. a good person. They're a good person. I must be the shitty person. That's the default. We don't yeah. listen to ourselves. We listen to other people, even strangers. <laughs> yeah. We listen to strangers more than we listen to people who love us or ourselves. It's and in spirituality and consciousness communities, they are even, I find it even more common that an individual is putting context that anything the shitty that happens to me in a shitty relationship is all about me because there are so many spirituality and consciousness teachings that literally dictate that. So there is no, there's nowhere to go there when there is literally just some asshole, asshole type behavior going on here. It, it makes it all about them and that there's nowhere to go there. But the word power, I do want to talk about that a little bit because I have witnessed individuals that power to them is something that you use over someone else. In other no. words, they they don't want their own authority. They don't want their own power because they have too many examples in their, in their lives of power is something that you use to manipulate, suppress, and make other people feel bad. That's not what we're talking about here, right? Power no. in this case is choices. And the, uh, the space and the room to go, is this okay, right? So it's, it is tragic in a way that so many individuals that are resisting power are the ones that are great with power, right? When they do have leadership roles, whether it's parental or um, projects that they lead or organizations or in professional settings where they are the boss, they do not misuse power. They use their power to get the best out of everybody, in a win-win situation, right? So power is so beautifully placed within those individuals that I love the concept of personal authority for individuals that know how to use it, that let's all be better, right? Versus, okay, I'm going to take all this power and I'm going to make all of you feel weak and disempowered and the shittier you feel about you, the better I feel about me. That's a toxic mental loop that is involved in somebody that has some form of deranged mentality. And I, I, in a way, I don't care why, unless they're my client and I'm trying to help them. But to the individuals that's suffering as a result of that, it going into that, but why are they like that? It doesn't matter, like you were saying, because there's nowhere to go there. Even if there is one simple answer, which there isn't, right? It doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't, it doesn't get you a sense of, okay, now I know what I'll do because that happened when they were eight 
I mean, so what? Right. They're 58 now. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? It's just Get like, over it. yeah, you know, they, if they're not going to move on, you can. And it's very unsatisfying too talking to, um, you know, it's a very broken record situation. If there's no self-awareness that if the lights are not on, you're not going to turn them on. No. By telling people how bad they're behaving, that really just fuels oddly, it fuels their sense of power in a mm. very perverse way. Yeah. Boundaries. That whatever they're doing is working. Right. And, and power to your point, it doesn't, it, it has two tails, you know, mm-hmm. there's the power that's the, the, the natural power that we are and have and come with doesn't need to be, you know, I always say like combat boots and a bed of roses. Like it's, it's, it doesn't need to be flaunted or exercised in order to, you know, have that. It's almost like there's a peacefulness to it again, you know, in all of these higher sort of transcendent experiences. And, and you're right. The people who, who have the best access to it, who, who would do the best with it are the people who are in a weird way, more martyred. And that to me comes from really this Judeo Christian religion based it's, it's in us. It's just in us that something is wrong with us. And if we were just better, we would be more in favor. That is just, we would be loved even by God, you know? So this is not a little thing and it's nobody's fault. It is a really indoctrinated way to always, and this is the way religious leaders stay in power because they tell you to look at how damaged you are mm-hmm. and what you're doing wrong because clearly you're still on this planet and clearly shit's going on all over the place, right? And if we were just better, mm-hmm. figure out where you're not yeah. and fix that. And if it's not fixed, it's because you're, you know, again, the brain, do more of the same thing that's not working. It doesn't change its tack. It just is more of the same to become holier, better, more loved, more lovable. I don't know. That's a good point because the, given what we talked about before, if the brain is in a looped pattern of, oh, I know what this is, right? That individual will continue to feel comfortable in a, in a shitty relationship because the brain knows what that is, right? Um, I don't want to go into some of the cliche types of conventional approaches to that, but I just, I like how kind of neutral that was. Um, this, This authority that we're talking about here is so simple, right? It isn't controlling another person. I'm talking about an example. I think you and I are both talking about examples where if, I mean, if Jeff came home and he was in a grumpy mood, right? Um, I would just be like, oh, I think you've had a day. I'm going to go on a walk um, or I'm going to go over here and do this. And then let me know if you want to hang out later. Right. I would not be like subjecting myself. And Jeff is, Jeff is a healthy guy. Right. So this may be a bad example, but when I hear somebody saying, well, he came home in a bad mood and then we had dinner, I'm like, wait, you had dinner with him? I mean, was he being shitty to you? Was he trying to take out his shitty day or she on you? Um, because why did you just sit there? You know, but again, they don't, they don't feel a sense of authority that they could have eaten outside. They could have eaten in any other part of the house, right? They, you don't have to sit there. 
right? That's the kind of authority we're talking about, where the minute somebody says something that you would never accept from a close friend, right? And that is like, whoa, I don't like that you just said that. Um, I'm leaving. Yeah. Right. And a lot That's, of times strangers are simple are things. Polite. What Strang- was that? Strangers are often more polite than yes. our people in our relationships are being. Nobody That's would a sign. You, you wouldn't go into Starbucks and yeah. you know and have that tood, right? Right. But somehow it's okay to bring That's it right. home. And the idea is that you should be loved anyway. You are mm-hmm. loved. This this scenario is not. Right. And, and I don't have to participate one day that, you know, Doug is going to love this one, but he says, he, he came into our closet. I was getting dressed. I can't really remember. And he said something like, do you realize I haven't been talking to you for like, you know, 10 hours. I really don't know what it was. And I was like, no, I had no idea. Right. And it was this idea that he was holding this, this grudge, but I was not anywhere near that headspace, right? I didn't even see it, to be honest, which is the extreme of what you're talking about, taking your dinner outside. <laughs> but I was so like, that's you. That's, that's you. If you need to off gas, whatever that is, that you, you can do that. But I'm not responsible for that. And I'm not there to fix that. And I'm not there to fix your shitty day. That's not what relationships are, right? Relationships are are collaborations, they're, they're communions. They're not who has hand today, right? Like we're not, when I was younger, you know, it's always like you're trying to always shift the balance of power in your relationship, you know, to who's on the upper hand. And then, you know, when you lose the upper hand, you're like, oh my God, I'm, this, is, this is terrible, right? <laughs> I, I love but, that example with Doug, by the way, that's so funny. Oh, um, it was, it was, it was very, for him, <laughs> it blew his mind. That was a total brain breaker for him that his whole thing was his responsibility. Hmm. Your behavior, and this this does cut both ways. Mm -hmm. You know, if you keep, a lot of times people say, you're turning me into that person. You know, a parent will say to a kid, you're turning me into a nag because you don't clean something up. No, the nag's on you, right? Your kid, for whatever reason, with their socks or whatever it is, is a non-player character. You've tried everything. You've really tried everything. Give yourself a break. You've tried everything. You swung from cleaning it up yourself because you don't care to making sure your kid never goes out again, you know, (laughs) until things are cleaned up. And you just keep swinging between these two very unsatisfying things, right? It's not fixable. It doesn't make sense. Stop putting your brain on. There's an answer here. There's Mm -hmm very few answers that your brain can churn up. The best thing it could do is to figure out, and here's the empowerment piece, the responsibility piece, is how not to be taken down by a dirty sock. Yeah. Dishes in the sink. Or Mm. I don't know what we're doing to ourselves, but we made everything a sign of everything, which makes everything that's not important, important. Yeah. And we were looking for clues because we've put our brain on this bone. Go look for clues about how much I'm loved. Go look for clues about, you know, how much my kid loves me. Oh, my God. Especially as problem. teenagers. Yeah. With the hormonal side where there are a lot of 
let's say, uglier layers that come out of humans in hormonal imbalances at postmenopausal women, menopausal, premenopausal women, hormonal teenagers of both genders, right? Um, Of all genders. It's, yeah. It's responsibility has to go where responsibility resides. Yeah. We only have responsibility for ourselves, but if we don't take it, that's on us. If you are staying in a shitty relationship, know that you are choosing that. You are choosing that. Not deserving it. That's very different. You don't deserve it. Nobody, nobody deserves a shitty relationship. But every shitty, every shitty relationship that I encounter, there tends to be one um, very uh, maybe passive, definitely tolerant um, individual that is putting up with shit that a lot of individuals would never put up with or that they wouldn't put up with in a lot of other ways in their lives. But they, for whatever reasons that may not even matter, they're putting up with it in that relationship or from that person or in that role. And that's something to look at, right? Because another kind of uh, maybe breaking of the program, right? Uh, Escaping the program that Mm -hmm. somebody can use is, would you ever do this to somebody else? Right. And they're like, no, I would never say what that person said to me. I would never do to another person what somebody did to me. Okay. Let's just look at that for a minute. Right. That what you would never do, this other person did or is doing or repeatedly does to you. How is that okay with you? Right. And they just go, oh, right. But here's the interesting part is that those individuals that maybe do have a greater capacity for love, compassion, grace, wisdom, high functioning, whatever, they tend to, there's a subconscious, I think, acknowledgement of, yeah, but they're not, they, they have these other impediments that prevent them from being as, you know, uh, let's see, how do I want to put this? I can't expect them to be me because they have other challenges that I didn't have or that I don't have. And that's where we're getting into the excuse making, right? Like you were talking about before, the rationalizations for bad behavior. The more that we are doing that, that's also a huge red flag, right? Um, I'm thinking of examples where somebody brings their partner to a social event or to a friend, you know, a family gathering, and they're making excuses for why that person is either behaving badly, behaving shitty, or just being, you know, a jerk, not being polite, um, not being, you know, not being appreciative, um, sitting there not participating, right? I mean, in a way, if that is normal behavior, why are you even bringing them, right? This, this cliche of the bringing the partner to the mall or to Target shopping with you, and all they do is sit there, why did you bring them? Right. Right. I mean, why, why not say, look, I'm going to do this. Do you want to go? Right. And again, we're back to that issue of authority that there are so many shitty situations within shitty relationships that could have been completely avoided. And what I've found is that when an individual is being obstinate or sucking the fun out of the room, if you literally say to them, okay, I'm going to do this. And the last time I noticed that when we did this, it didn't seem like you wanted to be there, or it seemed like I got more joy out of it than you did. So I've decided, I love those words. I've decided I'm going alone this time, or I'm going with this other person, this other friend or whatever, my you know sibling, somebody that appreciates the, the experience as much as I do, right? And that person, that's a, that's a lovely 
personally authoritative boundary that you're putting around something where they may react, right? And if you're afraid of their reaction, again, another red flag, because why would you be afraid of somebody's reaction to you making choices that are, it's not harming them. It's just saying, hey, I'm aware that you didn't enjoy this as much. My husband goes to all the concerts, the the music concerts by him, but without me. He goes with other friends. He goes with our kids because I don't like all the loud music. I don't like the crowds. I'm not a festival type. Yeah, the more people dancing together, the better. That is not me. (laughs) So we've we've realized that's his thing. It's not mine. It's okay. There's a caveat there though, I think, right? Because- you know, if you're, if you're in the martyr mind and you have to watch the martyr mind in relationships a Mm -hmm. lot, because if you're in the martyr mind, you're going to go and do all those things you don't enjoy for your person. You're going to do it, right? You're going to tailgate and mosh pit, (laughs) whatever. I don't even know what you're going to do, but you're going to do it because in your mind, you're doing it for that person. But once you do that, you create an expectation that this is what we do. I go to the things I, you know, I hate that you like, and you go to the things that you hate that I like. And that's, there's a codependency there that really has to be kind of watched and acknowledged. So in a healthy relationship, another person's independence is not threatening at all. Exactly. That's so good. Relationship, you really have to watch you know, that you're sort of bending yourself to fit into that person because you're trying to ingratiate. But when you ingratiate, you expect that behavior in return. That's already already setting up a dynamic. And that person will say, I thought you wanted to go. I thought you liked beer funnels, you know, in parking lots. I don't know. I thought you were there. Look good. You know, so... So there in all of these things that we're saying, there are levels of, you know, of things that that we have to, there's sub there's subcontext in a lot of respects. Definitely. And there are couples that, okay, we go to his golf tournaments and we go to her um her rock concerts, whatever, or we go to her golf tournaments and his, there are, but as long as the other person is being pleasant about it and isn't sucking the fun out of it in shitty relationships, there is a fun sucking experience out of what would normally be a fun thing. Or you that's, have to babysit that person, right? It, oh it my God. Yeah. That's fun sucking, right? Cause it's like, now I gotta, I gotta <laughs> deal with those shenanigans over there. Right. So that, that can be a, a real issue. Okay. Jill. So what about this? What about when their rationalization is, but it'll hurt their feelings. It'll hurt their feelings that you don't want to go to their whatever. When when anybody does puts up with anything or acts in a certain way and hands over their authority to what the other person wants in the in the goal of if I don't do that, their feelings will be hurt. What it really is saying is that's where the self-reflection comes in. It would really say in my in that situation, my feelings would be hurt. That's yes. a projection. Okay. There's another side to it. That's true. But the other thing is, oh, so you're making their feelings being hurt your job because that's what shitty relationships do. They make one person feel accountable, responsible, and authoritative for whether that other person is happy, having a good day, having a good life. The brain definitely thinks in these situations, if you're watching your brain, the brain thinks it's psychic. 
you are psychic. Our brains <laughs> are not psychic, right? So mm -hmm. the brain thinks it can tell the future. It can tell how somebody is going to think, believe, behave. We have no idea. And I think it's really important even not to base it on history because that's what the brain does. Based on what I've already seen, this is what's going to happen. By believing that, you act in a way that actually brings that about. Yeah. This, that's what we call the self-fulfilling prophecy, right? If you say, I know how this went in the past and I have no idea what's going to happen. You've opened the field for new possibility. You've actually taken the yoke off of that person and now say, you can behave any way you want. And mm -hmm. however you behave, I will then choose what I want to do next. But I'm not going to you know, think 10 steps ahead of you, even though we've talked about this, your and my brain will process into 2045 <laughs> in like a second, right? We are good at that. I can tell you everything that's going to happen in this world. Yeah. But I'm also very conscious that I'm making it up. And then mm -hmm. I'd like to say, and I'm probably going to say this many, many times because it blows my mind every time I say it. And I hope people like take it in and that like, let's pause for a minute and take it in. Every moment is new. You have never been here before. I do not care what your brain is telling you. I don't care that it looks like this or I think it's that. I don't care. This is a new moment. Every interaction is new. The only thing that's making it go to the same place again is your brain, your program, your preconditioning. That's what's running this show. That's and right. that's why we're talking about this. Exactly. If you don't have that baseline of everything is new in every moment. If, and you wake up and you're like same shit, different day, your brain is literally, what, what would I say? wading through data to only pick data that confirms sameness. It will never pick the data that's new. It just will not. That's right. And so this is a very, this could be a very limiting container if we don't put on the setting of, I don't know. Mm -hmm. My brain thinks it knows and it's going to make me do really weird shit right now but I'm just going to say, I don't know what this is. Mm. I don't know why you're having a tantrum. I don't know why you're mad at me. I mm -hmm. don't know. That's good. And curiosity in our, about ourselves, right? What if I did this instead? What if I said that instead? What if that thought isn't true? That curiosity zone, again, is a great on-ramp to transcendence, right? Which will blow the circuitry in the brain in a good way, right? Because yeah. in shitty relationships, that individual may only be that way with the people that are willing to put up with it. That doesn't have to be, that doesn't have to be you. Right. Right. That's a huge, and you change that wiring, right. By again, all it, out of the blue, all of a sudden you getting out of your patterns and going, Oh, I, this isn't pleasant to sit here and have this meal with even, even the grumpy teenager. Right. I, I mean, there should be choice in all of these versions of, I'm not saying there's always a shitty relationship with a hormonal teenager, but that is kind of classic, like right? <laughs> sounds like I am. My teenagers, the teenagers <laughs> get a pass. They turn into aliens for a couple of years. They get oh, a pass. But we've, right? we've got to do a separate episode on that because, oh my God, I've got serious game when it comes okay, to- There's a caveat here. I need okay. to put 
caveat because sometimes you're sitting at a table and you you're watching your your significant other have a moment right but you're like this person's not filling my needs beware of that there is a different situation because in a lot of respects i can sit with somebody who's having a moment i really don't give a shit because it's not my moment and i'm not offended by that moment right and i can just see that it's their moment so when people are like, oh, he's all stuck in his day and he's not asking me about myself, that that's when there's a problem, yep. okay? Because then, then your needs aren't getting met. And then that to me is like a huffy, reactive thing that you have, yes. to, you have to watch. This is where the kind of honesty with yourself has yes. to be real, oh, right? This is good. Thank you for mentioning that, Jill. Yeah, it's really, really critical because I see so many people like I wasn't going to take that. I'm like, take what? Yeah, no, this isn't a this isn't like, a punishment. Here. This is a self love moment that right. I'm describing. That, yeah, right. and the difference is your emotional level, right? Yes. If you're emotionally, you know, huffing off from the table in this in the scenario that we're talking about here, that's not that's not what we're espousing here. But right. it calmly, just sort of like, wow, I notice just saying, thinking to yourself, I notice that I just want to sit and enjoy my meal. And it seems like the other person is just very grumpily, you know, complaining about the food that maybe you prepared or whatever, you know, it's cold again or whatever. And you're just like, you know what, I just want to go enjoy my meal in peace and calmly and non-emotionally, possibly without even words, just smiling and taking your meal elsewhere. Right. It's such an easy thing to do. It is, but it's also easy to say, I love you, honey, but you're having a day. Uh, yeah. Like, oh yeah, for sure. There's nothing wrong with words, there's a, right? There's a, there's a naturalness yeah. Yeah. to, there's an ease to your, where it doesn't compound the problem. Now no, we had a bad It's not day, stirring now, it up. And now, now you're adding to his bad day. No. Like, yeah. You can see how this is, you know, these cycles yeah. happen so subtly, you know, where I don't know. A lot of times we think we're pulling people out of something and we're really just adding to the fodder. Like we're, that's right. It's the opposite of what we think we're doing. We, you know, we think we're trying to make things better and we're making them worse. That's right. Um, So removing yourself from the situation um, versus, you know, making sure you make an announcement as you leave, you know, to, to cause more drama and throw another grenade on it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. So related to the whole, you know, well, they didn't, you know, I'm mad at them because I'm disappointed in them, but I'm getting angry or upset or crying or emotional because they didn't ask me about my day. That's another sort of like in shitty relationships. Are we asking somebody that is, has demonstrated they are not a good person for that job for you? Don't ask them to do that job then, right? If you need someone to ask you about your day and that person never does it, then form, create, you know, another relationship with somebody else where you call them and ask about their day and they do that about you. And that can be so many other people. That's another classic example I I come across. And I'm guessing you do too, is this idealization, especially of romantic partners, if they need to be this for me, they need to be that for me, they need to be that for me. That's a lot of jobs. And that's really unfair. And it's, there's so many healthier ways to have those personal needs met that are maybe more balanced. And maybe it it does decrease the pressure on those relationships. And maybe those relationships get better. Maybe that partner is just like, oh, thank God. She, you know, she found somebody else to go to that with her. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. 
But so there could be, it could be an improvement. Maybe the shitty relationships goes from shitty to not shitty because there is a reflection and a, you know, creative pause on what am I, you know, why am I disappointed here? What am I needing from them or asking them to do that they're not doing for and and it doesn't matter that it doesn't matter. The reasons don't matter, but how else can I get those needs met or how can I need them, meet them myself? Right. Solution can never be if that somebody else is going to change so I could feel better. Yeah. Oh my God. That, that will never, never work. Be mm-hmm. the solution. So no. if your brain is saying, if he just blah or she just blah, then I'd be great. I don't yeah. have a problem if they just that. Yeah. That is the most tenuous line of tightrope of mental health. You can go down in a heartbeat, mm-hmm. right? That is, there is no stability there for you, right? Right. You are reactive mm-hmm. to your environment and that will kill you. And that's what's going on in our world, to be honest, is mm-hmm. all of this reactivity. If we, we are creators, we are not reactors. We are mm-hmm. supposed to create new experiences, not from that lower level of tit for tat. You did this for me. I did this for you. Relationships are some weird kind of trade-off that we do Mm -hmm. where, you know, we're always sort of, there's no equality. It's, it's just sort of always an imbalance that we're trying to, to get to that, that susceptibility to other people's behavior is killing us. Yes. In communities, it is a disaster. Societally. Yeah. And it on an individual level too. So I love what you're talking about here about we're not built for reactive. We are creative beings. And I would, I would add, and this seems to work well, when people are more creative about their responses, right? I look at it as it's like somebody else, like you said, not player character, they keep playing this role over and over and over again for whatever reason. But you're you're the, I don't want to say the star in, in an egotistical way, but you always have full authority or you ideally you feel full authority over what you are in that moment. So I'd like to give a super you know, real example. When I, I would drive my, um, my kids back and forth to junior high and junior high is a really, really hotbed, right. Of emotions and, um, insecurities playing out in a very kind of animal kingdom kind of environment or war, (laughs) right. Personal warfare. Um, and what I notice is that when, and I've had clients experience this too, that when the child, you know, you pick them up and they're just they've, we have no idea what they've been through, or maybe we do have a sense if, if we can relate to, wow, that's, that's a hard, those are some hard years there, but it's not about you. Right. So there was actually a podcast, Jill, that I heard, and I don't want to say who it is because the podcast disappeared, but a very famous person was on a podcast talking about how she was a fan of Byron Katie, who some of, some people may know. I'm, I'm not necessarily a fan or an opponent of Byron Katie, but I know I have some very differences of opinion about what is really going on and how to resolve what's going on. But this famous person was very loyal to Byron Katie's state, Byron Katie's teachings, you know, centering and, you know, uh, meditation, all those things. And she was describing how she was having a great day. And then she picked up her teenager from junior high or high school. And they were, they didn't say, thank you for picking me up. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. And then she got in a shitty mood for the rest of the day. 
And what I so wanted to tell her is all the things she could try in that moment that I know I've tried and worked because you don't have to join another person in their shitty mood. You don't. It doesn't matter who it is, right? So I got really creative. Like, okay, I noticed that it is not pleasant to pick her up. Do I have to pick her up? (laughs) Is there a bus? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, okay, this, this isn't pleasant for me. So if this happens against tomorrow, do you want to, do you want to take the bus tomorrow? Is there another way that you can get home? Because I don't deserve this behavior. I didn't do anything to warrant this. I'm sorry that you're having a bad day, but this has nothing to do with me. And I love myself enough to not put up with this. Right. That. I mean, there's I, no I, anger. There's no emotion. It's pretty dramatic, though, in, in, in another way, in terms of like, oh my God, she's going to ride the bus, as if that's the end of the world. The other thing that I found worked even more in a non dramatic way is I would turn on my music, right? So sometimes uh, those of us that are very uh, pleasing to our children and parents will automatically let them play their music, right? But I would turn on my music and to a volume that helped me feel as real in the joy space that I had while she could process whatever she needed to process to let it go. And what I found was if I'm not willing to join her in her, her sourness, her sourness goes away. So very real thing. All I did was play my music and sing to it, maybe loudly. <laughs> Again, not in I'm going to punish you, just like I wanted to enjoy myself and I chose to enjoy myself. I think with the kids, you know, there's there's a modeling thing that's going on there, right? There is still a sense of, you know, and we'll do a parenting one and what the role of a parent is or whatever. But I think, I think a parent who is just over invested you know, that the child is an extension of them, it's just gonna have a lot of issues. My, my daughter said to me one day, she was probably 17, we're shopping, she needed a winter coat. We're in the store, it's just my daughter, my husband and I, and I'm like, try this one on, try that one on. And I'm like, you know, ooh, I'm having a time, I'm shopping, whatever, I'm so happy. And finally she takes a coat and she looks at me and my husband, she's like, you two are doing nothing wrong. You're doing everything right. And I hate you both so much right now. And I just like cracked up because that is the experience of a teenager. They've got so much going on in there. And I'm talking about picking up their sock. They're like, I'm trying to hold this together from complete Armageddon meltdown. If you think that sock is registering, you got no idea. And so we do not have, because we don't see the turmoil, we are just focusing on garbage, literal garbage that we think is going to make them a better person. If you unload the dishwasher, if you do that, like, honestly, I can't, I can't, I I had a, you know, well, you know what? That's for the parenting. I'm not going to. Yeah, that. let's save it for the parenting one. And I apologize that my relationship was parenting, so, but it, it could be anybody, right? It could, I yeah. think the important thing is, though, you know, as, as takeaways here, right? I think that there, we want people to have sort of go to kind of, you know, ways of de identifying with other people's actions, behaviors, moods right? You have to deconfect, you have to disconnect. And those are the things I think that right now are 
are the most the most helpful tools. Like the non character, you take it anywhere you want. You your boss, he's gonna same shit different day with that guy. You are not gonna get the love you're looking for. This is the looking for love in all the wrong places. The non-player character will stop that right away. Repetitive actions from people. Mm-hmm. Why does this person do the same thing? Why does this person stand me up all the time? Barring the fact that you keep making plans with that person, that's fine. But when you make them know that you are dealing with a non-player character, it's not about you. It has nothing to do with you. That's what they're going to do. So that's my hack to deal with the beginning phase of this, which is dissociating yourself from being susceptible to other people's shittiness. Yep. Perfect. And the strategies that I would offer to add to the beautiful strategies that you just talked about are being honest with yourself by asking yourself questions. And I gave some examples today. So the whole idea, but that might hurt their feelings, which is a very common rationalization for not making better choices for yourself in a moment is, oh, so their feelings are your job. Are your feelings their job? How are they doing at that job? Because you've been doing overtime on your job right? So that's sort of a, it makes you pause. It helps you escape that program. That's why I love it so much. And then the other thing is be creative with your responses. When that loop starts to happen that you go, okay, what, what I normally do in this moment is this, but what, what I'm going to try now, something I haven't tried before is leaving the room with a smile on my face and just like going for a walk or just, there are so many choices over who and what we can be in any moment. And by feeling more creative about that, it may actually change the relationship. It will definitely help us get out of our role in that shitty relationship. So those are kind of my two favorites. I love it. I love it. I think we need we need these hacks. And again, they're, I don't even like to call them hacks. They're really just, mm-hmm. they're just simple things you know, that you can do. And, and the, the key thing and why we're always about beyond the brain is that it takes you away from that tendency because a lot of us caregivers and, you know, we tend to take on too much um, blame, self-blame, res- responsibility in the wrong way. We yeah. take on the negative responsibility of, you know, something is wrong with us. If we were just doing it differently, this, this wouldn't be happening. That is not true. That is not true. And I always like to say, I'm going to be for a second, because I I always like to say, Jesus was killed. They killed him. He spoke nice. He was only nice to people. And they, they still thought that that was, you know, it didn't work out. So I just feel like we're not going to get to everybody. Not everybody can hear you. And, and to just, in a weird way, respect your limits. Like it is hubris to think that you can go and just by being, saying the right thing, you can change everybody's mind. There are two people in this thing. It's a great point. Yep. So don't overvalue in that way and don't undervalue in the other way. Right. And that's the honesty the clarity, the awareness. And that's the other piece today. Beautiful. Details today. I don't know if we should be wrapping up right now, but I do want to address this idea of the mirror principle or, and what I mean by that is because I want to dismantle that. I really, really dislike that. And what I'm talking about here 
is this mentality, this program that people that a lot of folks walk around with because it is taught in a lot of consciousness, spirituality, and possibly even psychology teachings, is that what the world in general is giving you is what you are giving out. So you are getting back what you are giving out. That is not true. It is not true. This reality and others are not a mirror for you. They can't be a mirror for you because they've got all these other layers of themselves. So for anyone that is using another person's behavior or the world's behavior towards them as, oh, that must be what I am giving out, they are consistently getting in a loop of self-destruction in a lot of ways because this, this world is not a projection of them. This What they're getting back is not what they're giving out. And there's so much evidence that that's true because what they are giving out, they are not getting back. They are being kind to people and they are not getting kindness in return, right? They are not subconsciously creating whatever the, the noise and distortion that they're getting back. So if we can take aside that program and say, what if that isn't true? Because I am convinced it is not true. Again, over 10 years of observational research, it is the mirror principle, you know, this, you know, what you project out in the world is what you get back, the boomerang kind of thing. That wrong, 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 wrong. So set it aside. What you give out to the world, I wish in terms of all these beautiful people that are kind-hearted and use authority to lift everybody up, I wish that were true, but it's not true. And by being more real with yourself that, oh my God. That means you make very, there's a lot more choices and discernment about who you hang out with and who gets those prime seats in the inner circle of your life. Are they demonstrating that they're healthy enough to not be shitty with you? And everybody has a shitty moment. Everybody has a shitty day, right? Some people have a lot of shitty days. That doesn't mean you have to be in a position right next to them and put up with it or be the recipient of that. Especially Jill, when they're when they've demonstrated they're capable of being not shitty with so many other people. Right. Right. And so I think look, I think there is a place, honestly, for the mirror, which is not this conversation. Okay. Right? I believe that everything can be used either for good or for evil. Oh, right. I, yeah, so that's true. I, think, I just I hate that one. Mirror is a hundred percent misused if it's in the hand of the martyr. Mm, that's Our fair. mind will misuse that, but mm. there is huge benefit from the more whole mind of how to use that mirror principle to enhance compassion and to release differences and to you know move into wholeness. So there, there are aspects <laughs> of that mirror principle that we don't have to talk about today. We'll take on, I think, you know, maybe- we'll And it sounds like you like it. It's not that I like it. It's always, it's the origin. Where is this starting? If mm. I'm using the mirror to flog myself and blame myself for everything that's coming my way, mm. that's, that's actually enhancing the energy from which it started. Mm. So the, if your energy is, is this, again, it's the martyr energy. It's the, it's the victim kind of energy that of course is going to keep telling you that everything that's happening out there is your fault, right? That's, that's honestly the religious dogma. Like that's, that's, common knowledge, even though what I call it, it's unreasonable reason. 
Yeah. Right. It's completely logical given our thought streams, but it's completely insane. Mm-hmm. Right. So we have to watch the origin point. And I think this is where you and I always have such great dialogue because your origin point is healthier. Mm-hmm. Right. It, on the spectrum, I'm looking for the people who are struggling a little deeper mm-hmm. sometimes. And so I want to make sure that things that we say, for those who are struggling, uh, you know, a little more on, on some deeper, I, I don't have the right words for it. Don't use things we're saying that, that it doesn't get hijacked by the brain. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Into this negative space. I don't want that to get swallowed okay. up into something. And I feel myself not wanting to defend myself, but offer that it's not that I only work with healthy people. I mean, there, but I'm always focusing on what is healthy about an individual and wanting to amplify that, right? Because there are some very serious, um, like really, really um, messed up situations that a a portion of my clients deal with, you know, in a very real way. And the breakthroughs have been incredible. Absolutely. And you and I, we, I think we share the range of the people that we work with. Yeah. This really more uh, like it's a caveat for if this isn't hitting you well, watch, just, okay. just watch you. where you're trying, watch where the brain is trying to put this, mm-hmm. right? That's really what this is. This isn't, um, some brains are, you know, more likely to fill up boxes with good stuff. <laughs> you know, it'll take, it's like throwing good money after bad, you that's know, true. there's a great idea and the brain shoves it in a shitty place. Yeah. So that's, that's what that statement was, was really about. Um, and I think you are. Yeah. That, thank you. That's good. I think it's just imp- important to mention because you and I both always hope that the people we're talking to and have mm-hmm. are having these conversations with can see themselves the way we see them. We do not see the, what other, the, the, kind of garbagey stuff that people mm-hmm. see about themselves. Yeah. And it's not because we don't know you. It's because in a weird way, we're not, we're not clogged mm-hmm. with that, with that gunk. Our version, our vision is, is actually much clearer. So there, we're always, we're always looking for what's working and, and what's, what's not working with a few, with a few caveats here. Our, our belief is that everybody's doing great but there are a lot of holes in the sidewalk. And every now and again, you jump in a hole in the sidewalk. But to you, to what you said earlier, understand that it's just temporary. You jumped in a hole in a sidewalk. You didn't, it's not your identity. Mm-hmm. It's not your characterological issue. And in so many ways, people function so well in so many areas of their lives. But if they have a shitty relationship, it colors the view of themselves everywhere. And they can't even take in their gains in other areas because this is so consuming because they've made it a core identity issue. It's temporary. It's not a thing about you. You can end up in a bad group of friends and just not be yourself. And you can end up in a bad relationship. It doesn't make you broken. It's not a characterological damage. And then the brain will say, it's because of what happened when you were young. That's an erroneous association. That's 
Oh my God. There's so much. I can Excuses. go on. I know like- I, I'm having a hard time wrapping up because I'm like, there's, there's so, I'm thinking of this example in that context and business it's settings so and professional so settings. This will come up again. This yes. will come up again about the erroneous associations of the brain and looking for answers where they don't exist and not letting things be temporary. All this will come up again. Um, but it's, it's really relevant in relationships. Like don't make a temporary situation, a permanent part of yourself. That's good. Jill, do you have a key takeaway that you'll want to, that you feel like you want to add? I I honestly think that's, I think that's it. Let experiences be experiences, not shaping identity. I don't know. Okay. You say that better. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I like, (laughs) I like how you said it. What did you just say? There's someone at your door. I just feel like we're we're taking in experiences and making them part of our identity. Yeah. That's good. That's not the, that's not right. Okay. That's good. I'm I'm trying to find my, if I had a key takeaway and I had to pick one, because I love what you did and I probably would have done that too, that if for anyone that's in a shitty relationship, that doesn't mean you're shitty. right? If you're in a shitty relationship, look for the evidence of where you are treated well in the world and where you are getting the respect and maybe validation or affirmation of, of the beauty and the love or the wisdom, whatever, all the good things that you are offering in those roles. And that is not being received in the same way in that's in the shitty relationship, right? So in the shitty relationship, there is Ability to go, okay, let's be real about what's happening here and then be creative about your responses when the shitty behavior happens to, and just see what happens. It may go good. It may make things worse and that'll give you more information. Yeah. And that's so important. Honestly, that's so important because when you're, when you're in a shitty place, you can't take in the love in other places. If you feel like you're not being loved in one area, you can't take it in, in the other area. And I've had so many people, I'm like, look mm. over there, look at okay. the over there that's just streaming in. Why are you still trying to get blood from this stone? Yeah. So, so Jill, I, wonder, yeah. I don't know if I heard you correctly. Did I hear you? Did I hear you say that in people that are in shitty relationships, they can't take the love in there because maybe there isn't a lot of healthy love there, but they are able to receive love in the others? Or Because oh, I've helps. actually seen that too. I've seen it. I've seen that. What, what happens a lot of times, Okay. this relationship takes on such a big mental space Mm -hmm. that they could have love pouring in. Oh, and they're rejecting it. Okay. Okay. From strangers from all over the place. It could be gushing out of a Mm -hmm. fire hose over there, but it can't be received Mm. because this is where you want it. This okay, is that's fair. Okay. That, that makes people feel very, very isolated, but it also sadly affects those people who are giving yeah. you so much love. And right? it can sabotage where there are successful roles that they're playing. I've also seen it, and maybe we're saying the same thing, where an individual can be incredibly, these are you know high success individuals that are receiving 
healthy love and are there is a mutually beneficial healthy relationship in some roles but then there's this one right and they they get twisted and that this is the one that matters the most to me so we might be saying the same thing but I think to me it's not that they're blocking love or maybe it's that they're not blocking success and a healthy version of themselves um so that's where it gets even more complex because they have all of these like A plus, A plus, if you're going to grade it, roles that they're playing. And then there's this one where they're giving themselves an F. And I totally agree with you that that can cloud their entire sense of self. Even though, again, as I was trying to express in my key takeaway, if you have all of this evidence to the other roles that you play, right, that you do have healthy relationships, mutually satisfying, non-harmful, um, not trying to push another person down and vice versa, then that is evidence that this it's that it's for whatever reason, that relationship where that is based in, and you don't have to be you though you you've been in that relationship. Um, or in some cases you don't have to be in that relationship. Yeah. That's where the choices come in. And that's yeah. where the honesty, the self honesty in a good way. Yeah. You know, ask yourself why you are in this relationship. You know, it's got a hook in you for some reason. Exactly. You know, and what purpose is that serving? That's right. Because all I, relationships serve a purpose. You yeah. You're not a moron, right? No. Like we trust people's sovereignty here, right? That's and their right. authority. If you're in something, it's because it's serving you in some way. But if it's serving that martyr narrative, you got to know that. And the brain, the brain's looped program of, I know what this is. I know how to be treated shitty. So I feel comfortable in this role. Um, the other thing, and I feel like we are wrapping up here, I just want to offer a huge amount of compassion and love for those that are in shitty relationships. It just makes me want to cry because I know some shitty relationships that I've been in, it feel, it's so sad. It's such a sad experience of, of why do I have these shitty friends? Or, you know, why is, why is, you know, why am I not lovable? Why, you know, why am I not getting this or getting that, or this not happening or that, not, not, that not happening? Why doesn't it feel the way I think it should feel? Um, it's just a really sad place. So I just want to offer a, a big hug of compassion to those that are in that situation. And I, I love the kind of more clinical professional way we approach this with really specific strategies that were beyond the emotional layer. But I also wanted to offer that hug. And I, I think that is, it, it is the saddest thing. You see family members going through it. You mm -hmm. see friends going through it. And it is, look, the only way out is through you got to do it and you will do it. You'll get there. You know, that is, you will get there. You always will. And it, and it is bumpy and it is messy. And yeah. the reason that we do take the, the emotion piece out of it is because that emotion piece is what's hooking you in. Exactly. Right? There's and, always, you know, go ahead. Yeah. And there's just, there's, there's no way around it. And that's why I call it kind of decathecting, mm. right? It, it is about getting clinical because the more you delve into your emotions, the deeper you're going to get in a hole, exactly. right? This is when yeah. your emotions are not instincts mm. and your emotions are not serving you and you can choose them. And we'll have a whole podcast on that. But yeah, but it is if you're in deep, just hunker down. You're in deep. That's good. That's it, you know, and reach out, right? Exactly. I mean, reach out, reach out friends, anybody, you know, reach out. Um, yeah. don't cave in on yourself because everybody hates your shitty friend or exactly. your shitty boyfriend. Don't isolate yourself, you know, mm -mm. I guess parting words I'll offer is there's always hope for you, but there may not be hope for the relationship.
Love it. That's perfect. It's a wrap. (laughs) I love you, Jill. Thanks for doing this today. All right. Until next time. Are you staying on? Um, What do you mean? I'll hit stop. Yeah, let's stop the recording.